Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry, help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth, to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Today, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 3, with part 2 of a message titled, Opinions and Reality. You know, ultimately, the Bible teaches that you're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. You're going to, in fact, the Bible says in John chapter 5 that all judgment has been given to the Son. The Bible says if you don't have the Son, 1 John 2, 23, you don't have the Father. The Bible says that unless you believe Jesus says that I am, you will die in your sins. And the Bible teaches that one day Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. Sheep on his right hand, goats on his left. And he will say to some in these uh, you know, stories later in the Gospel of Matthew, people will say, Lord, open to us. Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Lord, let us into the wedding banquet. And he will say, Depart from me. This is Jesus talking, by the way. I never knew you. You know, all of life really comes down to who do you say that Jesus is, and then do you know him? And people say, oh, wait a minute, Christian. That's a little too near, narrow now. That's a little, aren't you shoehorning people? Aren't, aren't you making this, you know, really an exclusive type of deal? No, I'm not making it one. And if you have a friend or a coworker who accuses you of making this too narrow, just tell them, I didn't make it narrow, man. <laughs> He's the one that said it. Your argument's not with me, sir or ma'am. It's with him. You can come to whatever conclusion you want to, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord you can either take Jesus at his word or not, but you cannot set aside the clear proclamation of the Gospels. You can't. You can come to your own conclusions. In fact, in a free will universe, however you work out your own view of salvation, part of it is on man to repent and believe and trust in what the Bible declares about Jesus Christ. If you don't want to do that, Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me. But here the Bible's being honest that there were people and, and some, I'm sure, in the crowd who progress, progressively had their eyes open. And, and I think that that's legitimate. And by the way, this does not mean that you can't ask questions. You should ask questions. Do your homework. Look at the resurrection accounts. Wrestle with the biblical Jesus. You should do that. It's not wrong to ask questions. It's not wrong to even be on a journey where you're trying to figure out if this is what you want to believe, because I think you should. I think you should do some of your own homework. But in the end, you're going to be faced with the biblical Jesus. And here's what people love to do. They love to redefine Jesus. And here's what people say. Other religions say he's a way shower. Uh, other people say, yeah, he's a good moral teacher, but he's certainly not God. And people want to redefine him. 
What if someone did that to one of your family members? What if someone said, oh, that's not really your family member and they weren't really born over here and that's not really who they are. Would you be a little upset if they said that about your mom or your family heritage? I would. So what are you talking about? That, that's my family. Well, here's what people do on the planet. They redefine Jesus so that it's not so narrow so they can hang their hat on, you know, there's got to be another way. And I understand that. It's a little bit more convenient for people. But this is what the Bible is telling us. It's even worse. The family thought he had lost it. Verse 22, Mark 3 says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. So here's kind of a delegation from the religious capital. We would uh, conclude here that they were an investigative party, kind of sent from the capital religious center to verify that maybe Capernaum was under this uh, delusional messianic figure. And their, from their perspective, they were just going to take notes and validate that he can't be the Messiah. They didn't want to believe in him. So they went. The scribes or Pharisees probably sent out from the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the day. And they were saying, they took it a step further. They said, he's possessed by Beelzebul, and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Wow. Family said, uh, I think he's lost it a little bit. Religious leader said, he is possessed. Wow. This is the varying opinions that were happening when Jesus was walking the planet. And uh, I would like you to turn to John chapter 10. Here's a parallel. Uh, well, it's not a parallel account, but here's another insight. John chapter 10. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is talking about the fact that he's the good shepherd. And uh, let's pick it up in verse 14 of John 10. John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, John 10, 14. And I lay down my life for the sheep, uh, 16 now. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on, on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. There arose a division among the Jews because of these words, verse 20, John 10. And many of them were saying, notice, many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. So they took both of the words, if you will, or some of the opinions that were occurring, and they combined them and hung their hat with the following words, they said, he's a demon, he's insane. Why do you listen to him? You see, if I can recategorize Jesus, then I can dismiss his words. Do you understand that this is the motivation for a lot of people of their excuses? Too many hypocrites in the church. Oh, Jesus can't be the only way. And so they hang their hat on that so that they don't have to deal with the 
consequences of what he said. And even in his own day, the religious leader said, he has a demon. He's insane. Can you imagine how terrible this is in light of all the good that he was doing? In light of the beauty of who he was? How many people did he touch? How many people did he reach out to? How many people did he deliver from demonic possession? How many people did he heal? He raised the dead. And the conclusion of the religious leaders is that he's possessed? You see, they were not comfortable with admitting that he was the Messiah. If you look at John 7, verse 20, we have the same thing. John 7, verse 20. It says, The multitude answered, John 7, 20, You have a demon who seeks to kill you. Jesus knew that they were plotting his death. Look at John 8, 48. John 8, 48. Jesus is in a conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. John 8, 48. This is the tail end of a debate that goes back and forth. They're making all kinds of accusations, including that he was born illegitimately. John 8, 48. The Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? Now they added a Samaritan, by the way. <laughs> you're insane. You're a Samaritan. You have a demon, verse 48. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Notice Jesus, how politically correct he was. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abram, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, how about this, folks? I am. And they didn't miss what he said. He goes all the way back to the burning bush, Exodus 3, verse 14. I am that I am. Moses is asking about his name. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Back to Mark 3. You can see how heated it got between Jesus and the religious leaders. You could see how many accusations were coming his way. You could maybe go back in the day and see the magazines on the rack and the History Channel saying, the conclusion of Professor so-and-so is that he's a Samaritan. The conclusion of so-and-so is that he's lost it a little bit. The conclusion of so-and-so is that, you know, he's possessed. This is what was happening back in the day. Jesus became a lightning rod for people's conclusions. But here he is vanquishing the powers of evil. And they attribute his power, Mark 3, to Beelzebul. Notice verse 22. They said he's possessed by Beelzebul. This uh, particular name has gotten a lot of print. But here's what it 
Here's the, the different conclusions on the word. Beelzebub or Beelzebul. Baal is the first part, and Baal means master or Lord. You guys know that when you read your Old Testament, you see that there's this constant draw of Israel to Baal or Baal. And there's Baal, and then there's a, uh, sometimes a dash, and there's a Baal for a different region. So there were different endings on his name because there were different Baals at different places. But Baal was supposed to be the one in charge of weather and lightning and that kind of thing. He was kind of the, the weather or fertility god. And so if you appeased him or you had his favor, your crops and your herds and all of that, which was important in agrarian society, did well. So you want, if you wanted rain, you had to look to Baal. And Israel got caught up in Baal worship all the time. It's Mike Massaro, and you're listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. And we'll get back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. But I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available. It's Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's about spiritual warfare, how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The special offer is, if you go to livingtruthradio.org, that's livingtruthradio.org, and click on the Donate button, for any donation, we'll send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you tell us in the contact form that you'd like the book. Now, back to Pastor Michael. So, Biel Zabol, um, there are some, let me just read this. This is uh, from a, uh, one of the commentaries. The form Beelzebub occurs of the God of Ekron, 2 Kings 1, 2 and 3, 6 and 16. In the Hebrew text, not in the Septuagint, not in the Greek. This means Lord of the Flies. May well be a Hebrew pun on a similar sounding Philistine name. Some suggest that the Jews further corrupted this into the similar sounding Beelzebul, or get this. So Beelzebub is Lord of the Flies, Beelzebul is Lord of the Dung. So there are some people who believe that the Jews, to kind of mock the, the pagan gods, twisted the name, changed the letter, if you will, on the name. And changed Lord of the Flies to Lord of the Dung. In essence, to say, if you follow a God that's known as Beelzebul, be careful where he leads you. There you go. <laughs> Lord of the Flies. Some of you have heard that. You know that one of the plagues in Egypt was a plague of gnats or flies, right? And the Egyptian sorcerers were so dumb that they tried to repeat what God did. Can you imagine having, how many of you go crazy when there's just one fly in your house? Just admit it right now. How many of you have a huge fly swatter? It's bigger than most of your family members. My mother is this way. If there's a fly in the house and she's cooking Italian, everything must stop until the fly dies. Get that, get that fly, Michael. We're all diving after the fly. Do not let that fly touch and corrupt our food. And so they tried to imitate what God did, and they couldn't do it. They said, no, this is the finger of God. Now, if you were the Egyptian magicians, I wouldn't try to duplicate the miracle. I'd try to create off bug spray, wouldn't you? To try to counter what the God of Israel was doing. Well, here is this name. But imagine now that they're applying the name 
to Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God the Son. And they have just called him a derisive, twisted term. That's the lowest of the low. It's about as low as you can hit somebody. And this is blasphemous. You see, this is where it sunk, you guys. And sometimes you hear people, how many of you get a little upset when you hear God's name taken in vain? How many of you take your fly swatter out and you try to hit that family member? Anyway. It's okay, you can admit it. <laughs> Confession's good for the soul. Anyway. Can you imagine what they're saying? They say, he's possessed by the Lord of the flies. The Lord of the dung. The God or gods of the pagans. And the demon powers behind them. You know, if I was Jesus, I think that would have been the time to call fire down from heaven. James and John have been asking him, right? <laughs> okay, boys. <laughs> yep. This is the place, right over there. Man, he's so patient. And he called them to himself, verse 23, and he began, Mark 3, 23, he began speaking to them in parables. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? Jesus uses a logical argument. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan roams about, like a roaring lion seeking what? Someone to devour. And Jesus is saying, so are you saying, boys, that Satan is destroying his own kingdom? Are you saying that you believe that all these people who are being delivered from being demonized, Satan's doing all this? People might say, well, you know, maybe Jesus did it to cover who he really was. Yeah, but he didn't just do it once. He did it over and over again. Sometimes the sun was setting and he was still delivering people left and right. Satan wouldn't do that to his own kingdom. Jesus said, just, just pause, breathe a little bit, boys. I know you're upset. I know you're not getting as much press as you'd like right now. I know you feel that maybe your nation is in jeopardy, but just think about what you're thinking Satan's not going to cast out Satan. Those people have become his property. They've been extensions of his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And you think he's going to eradicate the power from his own kingdom? I don't think so. If you're a religious leader and maybe you've gotten caught up in the hysteria, wouldn't you begin to think a little bit? By the way, the, the word parable, this will lead us into the parable of the sower in Mark 4 for next time. It's used three times in the Old Testament. And let me just give you one place where it's used. Just write this down. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 4 says, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Psalm 78, 1 through 4. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal from their children, but tell to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Parable is parabole in Greek, and it means to compare, or it is comparable to. It's sometimes defined as an earthly story with a spiritual point, but a parable is a comparison. 
It's to place one thing aside another to bring clarity, to help you understand a concept. And Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Here's where the parable pretty much starts. It says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. You could say, why would Satan cast out Satan? He says, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And all of us know that sometimes the devil's greatest work is in division. Look at verse 25, a house divided. If, if Satan's up to anything, it's not to divide his own kingdom, it's to divide God's kingdom. If Satan's up to anything, it's to cause division in the church. It's to cause division in your marriage. It's to break, about, break apart relationships that can be vital to the proclamation of the gospel. That's what he does. He tries to get a foot in the door, as it were. Takes advantage of situations when people allow the flesh to get the best of them. And then all of a sudden, the kingdom of God is affected. Sometimes it happens in a family and there's people who proclaim that they're Christians and their behavior doesn't reflect it and something happens and something unbiblical happens and sometimes a, a child watches it happen in a church or in a marriage and then for years they don't even go to church. You know why? Because they've been affected. Look, there's healing in Christ. We've all made our mistakes. Do you see how the devil works? It's not just one person that these things affect, it's many, and sometimes it's even generations. Generations can embrace faithfulness, demonstrated, or they can embrace sometimes what they see as hypocrisy. And this is what he does. If Satan has risen up against Satan 26, against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, look at verse 26, but he is finished. He won't do this. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Let's go to Luke 11. Luke 11. Here's Jesus' words and they are powerful. There were some exorcists that went around in the day and they allegedly could cast out demons as well. They failed in the book of Acts. Some of you know that story. And the demon says, uh, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And these so-called exorcists, sons of Sceva, get beat up. You remember that? Well, this is Luke 11, um, 17. He knew their thoughts, Luke eleven seventeen, and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if, by Beelzebul, if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Logical argument. Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, reminds us of the plague of flies back in um, Egypt. It reminds us of the law written by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone's stronger than he, and Jesus is obviously stronger than Satan, that's why he's able to do what he does, 
attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. You see, this is the idea. Back to Mark, and we'll finish it up. Satan is not going to do this to his own kingdom, but deep down these men must know that Jesus is God in the flesh, or at least the Messiah. Now look at verse 27, Mark 3. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, then he will plunder his house. Truly, this is literally amen, I say to you. You could render it truly, truly. Listen closely, I say to you. All sin shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. Now, before we get into one of the more difficult verses in the Bible, and we talk about a verse that keeps some people up at night and makes them nervous, let's talk about some good news. Verse 28 says, All sin shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. And all God's people said, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. All sins are forgivable. Doesn't mean all sins are going to be forgiven, but they're open to forgiveness if one will simply trust in Jesus Christ. Whatever sin you've committed, however far you think you've gone, it's forgivable. Is there an unforgivable sin today? Well, yeah, there is. It's called unbelief. See, let's put it another way. You need your sins forgiven and so do I because we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And so the question is, how can I be forgiven? What, what is the means of my forgiveness? And there are a lot of people who are trying to earn forgiveness. They're trying to you know, do some sort of payback system. Uh, there's different religions that say, you know, maybe your good works will out, outweigh your bad works one day, etc., etc. There's karma in Eastern religions. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the only way you're going to be right before God on that final day is if you are cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So if there is an unforgivable sin, and that may not be the best way to put it, if your sins one day are not forgiven, mm -hmm. it will be because you did not trust in the one who cleanses us and puts away our sin. It's Jesus. And so that would be the, the application to a modern listener. And then the question for our listening family and our listening audience is this, are you forgiven? Because this is a personal decision that you must make. You must decide if you're going to appropriate or receive the finished work of Jesus Christ. And since it's a gift, the only way to receive a gift is to take it. It's to receive it. You can either reject a gift. No, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Someone's trying to give it to you. I don't want it. Okay. Or you can receive the gift. And if you receive the gift of salvation, you have every sin that you've ever committed is erased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you don't, then you're unforgiven. And so that would be the question. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.